Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Bring, bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. I'm Russ Coleman, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast all about Fulham Football Club, and you can follow me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter account for the show, Cottage Talk. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith, head still quite Burnley. I don't have a podcast or anything at the minute, but if you really, really want to, you can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports. Cheers all. Uh, Joshy here, I'm a Manchester United fan. Um, I do various things, but you can find me on Twitter at DocJ underscore MUFC. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on today, guys. I figure we have to talk about Liverpool. They've had a fairly decent week. Uh, they beat Tottenham midweek when Tottenham were top of the table, so that they went top of the table, then drubbed Palace to the tune of seven goals uh, at the weekend, now have a four-point lead at the top of the table, just like that. They still have some injured players to come back, much as Mourinho might disagree. Uh, but do you think at this point it's their title to lose now, now that they're in front and by at least two results? It's an interesting one because uh, I just saw Fulham play Liverpool and I wasn't impressed. So it's difficult for me because it's easy for me to say that it's their title to lose. I don't think they're going to win it. I don't think they're going to repeat because I've seen other clubs that I think are better than them. So to be honest with you, I I don't think, I don't look at it that way. And I understand the injuries and I think the injuries will continue to show itself. And um, yes, they scored seven goals. Yes, they had some good victories, but they're vulnerable to me. They're not the same team as last season, and I think they are showing themselves to be a little full of themselves. And, and again, that's just my opinion based on what I've watched from them. I, I've watched a decent amount of matches with them, and I watched them play Fulham, and I saw how Fulham played against them, and I'm sure other teams are going to be able to do the same. So they might be the team to beat, but... I think uh, I, I think someone's going to come in and take it from them. I agree with a lot of what Russ has said. I don't think Liverpool have been that impressive, but then you look at the record and they've only lost one. In second place, Leicester have lost five. So I think it is quite clear, even at this stage, that they're significantly better than everyone else. Um, when Van Dijk got that injury, I thought that was them done, yeah. to be honest. I thought it was then Man City's title to lose, but... City haven't really looked themselves all season, apart from when beating Burnley 5-0, which they do every season, so that's not really an indication of anything. Um, but I think a lot of the other sides that were expected to be contenders aren't really aren't really doing it either. People were talking about Chelsea being contenders. They're in mid-table. People were talking about Tottenham being contenders. And Spurs looked like they were going to be contenders right up until the minute that everyone started saying that Spurs were going to be contenders. <laughs> and then they stopped being contenders. So I'm not really sure where the competition's coming from. Leicester look really good in stages, but like I said, they've lost five games already. Teams win the title without losing five games nowadays. So I think it's tricky. I'm not sure they're going to win it as easily as last season, but like I say, I thought the Van Dyke injury was going to be critical. I think probably too much has been made of the other injuries. It's been people missing a game or two here or there. It's not that big a deal. They've probably got the strongest squad in the league. Um, I'm very impressed with how some of the young players who've come in have played. I think Phillips at the back looks like a real talent. It's unbelievable that he was playing non-league football this time last year. And now he's mm-hmm. looks at home in the Liverpool defence. Curtis Jones looks like a generational talent to me. He already looks like he's good enough to play for that Liverpool team. And he's, what, 19? He's only going to get better. Um, so... <laughs> I don't, it's not even Christmas yet. Talking about it being a team's title to lose seems premature. But at this stage, 
I can't really see anyone stopping Liverpool. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's not much to add. I think there is a nuance to kind of, is it theirs to lose? No, but they are the team to beat, right? There's a, there's a slight nuance between the mm. two kind of statements there. They have the strongest squad. And I think the Van Dyke injury, obviously you're going to miss a player of that quality as someone who's so influential in the side. But actually, the part of Liverpool's strength is they work, that is, is the way Klopp has coached them as a unit, right? So it's not um, <clears throat> they're not reliant on individual brilliance, but the individual brilliance is allowed to shine through from the the way they play as a unit. So you, you know they're not missing him as much as perhaps um, they could have done, which I think that's slightly surprising for me. I think they I think teams I expected teams to take advantage of that a lot more than they have done, but that's because they've defended really well as a unit. Um, yeah, like I say, they're the team to beat. They're the best side in the league by some distance. I mean, they proved that last season. And the only reason they're probably not well ahead by now is because of that Van Dyke injury. They've let in a couple of sloppy goals. And then obviously they had that, I think it was 7-2. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they're, they, they're at the top of the table for a reason. Uh, they can be caught. I wouldn't want to make a prediction to say that they will be, but uh, the, the problem is nobody around them um, has put a decent run together yet, so or, or a good enough run together yet. Obviously, there are you know Leicester, Tottenham, and now United have put on put a few strung a few wins together, but it's about that consistency, obviously, across the whole season, and it, and and I'm not sure any of the teams around them have that for the whole season. So yeah, I think they're the team to beat. But it's not theirs to lose just yet. They've still got, obviously, a lot of work to do. Hmm. Uh, we've obviously mentioned a lot of teams there all. Uh, is there a team that you think is anywhere near clear second? Or is this just going to kind of be a muddle huddle all the way through the end? It's a great question. You know, there are a bunch of teams. You know, it's funny because uh, I think Leicester will be around it. You guys already talked about the teams it's just, uh, I think this is a very weird season, partially because of uh, the, the uh, conditions that we're dealing with right now. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I understand what you guys are talking about, that they're still head and shoulders above. But we're seeing results that are just weird this season. And I think a lot has to do with the competition of the league and the situation. No fans or, or very little fans in certain situations. And uh, I just think that it's going to be difficult for them to repeat. I could be wrong. I do. I still strongly feel someone's going to catch them. I I think it's really hard to call. I mean, you'd have asked me probably a week ago. I'd have thought Tottenham would have been the nearest contenders, but the last couple of games have, have really fallen away. So I think it's tough. I would expect Man City to, start putting it together at some point. They've not really looked like City so far this season, but that team is still the team that put up all those points in the last two seasons. So if I had to put money on it, I'd put City down in second place right now. I don't know. I'm, I, I think City have a lot, Pep's got a lot of work there to do, rebuilding that side. I mean, they've lost David Silva, not really replaced Vincent Company, although John Stones has come through in the last few weeks doing really well. Bernardo Silva has dropped off. Agu- uh, Jesus isn't really the same as Aguero, so they miss Aguero when he's not around. I think I don't know that they're. I mean, I think obviously they'll they'll they will beat sides and and come up, but I don't think you know they they necessarily are nailed on for that second spot. It is up for grabs. I'm not again. We're talking about second spot. I don't think Liverpool are going to run away with it in the same way that they did last year. I'm hoping they don't. As a United fan, and it's always difficult to retain the title. And not many teams have done it. I think United and City, I'm going to say Chelsea have City done it. I can't remember. Mm. But um, yeah, I think it's really difficult. So I'm hoping they stumble and fall away, and I'm hoping United are there to take take the chances. That, you know, but obviously, it's it's just it has been a strange season. I mean, when you consider Liverpool have lost the match seven two, and have just won seven nil. So yeah, I'm hoping that some of these freak results come their way sooner rather than later. And uh, we can see a much more competitive title race. But I think around after, uh, you know, in that area, everyone else, there is there is going to be a lot of competition for those those uh, Champions League spots. It's not clear cut. Mm. 
Gotcha. So yeah, it sounds like we're all thinking it'll be a lot closer this year and a lot more exciting, but who are the other suspects seems to change week to week. So we'll kind of see how that progresses throughout the season. Uh, next up, I wanted to rehash something that we talked about, I think the last couple of weeks now, which were uh, head injuries and concussions. Uh, the Premier League has shockingly actually done something about it in theory. Uh, starting in January, clubs will be able to replace players with suspected concussions, regardless of how many substitutions they've already made. It Some places are saying that it also opens up a substitution window for the other side, not quite sure how that's meant to work out just yet, but is this a pretty significant step forward for the Premier League in terms of player health and, and just for the league in general? I think so, and uh, I think it's been a long time coming. I live here in the Boston area, and uh, a club legend for the New England Revolution was uh, Taylor Twelman, whose career ended because of concussions. So every time I watch Taylor commentate and he sees one of these situations, you know, um, it bothers him and it actually bothers me because I think there've been situations where let's be honest, I think players have continued when they really shouldn't have. And I think this now puts a situation to to the side that, okay, if player cannot continue because of, of a concussion, they can now go off the pitch and you can have a replacement. I think this is only positive news because let's be honest. These are these players. These are wonderful players. They're people. And, you know, again, we have to think of them as people and their brains are very important. And I think this is good news for the health of all footballers everywhere at any level. This is a good sign. Yeah, I think it's long overdue, really. Um, I assume you talked about the the Jan Vertonghen stuff on the show recently, Kev. Yeah, and the uh, David Luiz, Raul Jimenez one. Yeah, yeah, but I think... um, this has been coming. It's a positive change. I completely agree. We had one a couple of weeks ago. Nick Pope, right at the end of a game, came out, made a really important save, got clattered in the process. Even as a non-trained medical professional, the eye test to me just looked obvious that he wasn't quite right, but he played on. And yes, it was only the last few minutes of the game, but what happens if he then got hit again? Like. Right. I think it's really scary now when you see these things happen. Um, what happened with Pope was then he missed the next game. The club only ever said that it was a head injury. They never said concussion because obviously if they'd said concussion, then everyone would have thought, well, hang on a minute. Why did you do the test? And then he played on. Um, I think it's tricky with concussion though, isn't it? Because it's not always evident straight away. So they can test for it, but sometimes it develops later. I think that's right. I mean, I'm not an expert on the subject, but that's how I understand it. Well, that's literally what Jan Vertonghen said, is that both the club doctors and an independent doctor (laughs) cleared him. Yeah, exactly. But then Jan Vertonghen, you could see straight away during that game, he just wasn't right. It was absolutely terrifying that he was allowed to carry on. Mm. So I don't know if the tests need to be made better. I, I don't know what it is. I think this is positive. Um, it doesn't sound like something that can be abused. You know what managers are like. They're always trying to gain an edge somehow. I don't think you can fake a concussion, so I don't think we're going to see that happen. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's a good move. And with everything that we've seen about footballers developing dementia and the links with with heading the ball and head injuries during the playing career, I think it's a, re- a really good move and not before time, really. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it, it is a, it's a, at the very least a significant recognition that there there needs to be better management of head injuries. I still think the head injury protocols are a bit flimsy. Um, I'm not. I am a medical professional, but I'm not an expert in head injuries. But I still think they're flimsy. When you look at the protocols in in rugby, NFL, that they're much more stringent. Obviously, they are full contact sports, so it's slightly different in that regard. But a head injury is a head injury. So I think this is a great step in the right direction they still need to be more um i think more decisive with the protocols i just think head injuries is something there's just no need to take a risk even if you've been sort of cleared on the pitch and and a doctor said oh it's all good like like as was mentioned you know by jamie it's it's not always entirely evident and sometimes you see it and then it kind of develops on the pitch i can't remember who it was but i remember a player being cleared. This is a while back. A player being, I think, it might have been John O'Shea, but he had been cleared, and then, and then kind of just 
not didn't didn't collapse, but just had a dizzy spell and just did, and then just sat down and then had to come off about ten minutes later. So for me, it, it's one of those things. There's no need to risk it. Take the guy off. So I think this helps that, right? You know, there's no substitution gone lost. So again, you're able to minimize the risk without impacting so much on the team. So it is a step in the right direction. I just think there's more needs to be done by FIFA, UEFA, Premier League, whoever, to bring in much more decisive protocols to say, look, if there's even a shadow of doubt, you've now got, you can bring someone on without uh, losing a substitution. Don't take the risk, take the guy off. That, that's kind of how I would do it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good step, but, but more can be done. Just to jump back in, I think it's it's a cultural thing as well. Like in English football, we've always had this thing about players being brave and like really manly to play on. Remember people like Terry Butcher and Paul Ins, the famous pictures where they're absolutely covered in blood from a head injury and they've been bandaged up and they're carrying on because they've been a British bulldog and being really brave and bold. Um, and I just think we need to get rid of that attitude. Like David Luiz the other week trying to play on, trying to be really big and bold and a hard guy it's like you're just risking your own health i think players need to also accept now and with the substitution rule changing the fact that it's not letting the team down they've got the extra sub i think that will slowly come out of the game and like i said we've seen all these players dying with dementia and head injury related injuries so hopefully things are going to change in that regard as well yeah another thing that was ruled on in the same premier league meeting was expanding the benches to nine players instead of seven presumably to also deal with the fact that there might be uh, these concussion substitutes that need to come off, and that would obviously dwindle your amount on the bench if you had to use one or even two of them, uh, regardless of whether or not it's attached to the concussion uh, rule as well, though. Do, do you guys like the expanding of the benches in the Premier League? I think it's a good idea, and uh, I'm glad that they've done it. And if it's for, like I said, concussions, I think it's a good thing. If we're talking about having additional uh, substitutions like we've had before. I'm not sure if I'm for that up to five, but I do like the manager having more choices, but also I, if it's four concussions, I'm all for it. Yeah. I've, I, I don't have a strong view on it. I think it's a bit of a, it's, it's a compromise for me. Um, the Premier League had the vote and I think half the clubs wanted five substitutions like we had in the post restart period. Half the clubs didn't want it, so having nine players on the bench is a bit of a cop-out compromise that no one really asked for. Um, <laughs> I, I posted this on Twitter earlier. I think it's going to be fascinating to see the football manager regen names that turn up on benches that just, like, aren't real footballers, just like facsimiles of, of actual players that are not real. Um, it's probably not going to make a difference for a club like Burnley as well that struggled to put seven players on the bench at times. So nine players on the bench is probably going to be um, interesting to see where they find the young players to go on it. I think the change that I'd like to see if they're going to do this and have match day squads of 20 is some sort of quota of young players or homegrown players um, that have to be included. So you say, like, if you have 20 players in the squad, five of them have to be homegrown young players or something. Um, I think it's a good opportunity for more young players to get an op- to get, get a chance. Um, obviously, some clubs have got bigger squads than others. You see Spurs, I think, had 20, men, 20 players in the squad and still couldn't mm. find somewhere for Deli Alley. So I'd like to see some sort of um, contingency to make it about having young talent and giving these young players opportunities. I think with the Brexit rules changing, the number of foreign players that can be brought into clubs anyway, I think it's an ideal opportunity to to do something in terms of the homegrown courses. Yeah, I was going to make the same point, actually. I don't think increasing the number of players you can name on the substitutes bench is is that much of an issue. I don't... You know, nine, seven, I'm not, I don't feel that strongly about it, but actually it's an opportunity to bring, for, for people, you know, just to gain that experience, it is, you know, it is an experience and it is good to travel with the first team squad and, and see what it's all about, sit in the stadium. Obviously at the moment we don't have any fans, but when that all kind of comes back, it will be a great experience for some of these guys. Um, aside from that, I, I, you know, I don't have, like I said, don't have, uh, massive feelings either way um and and if it's if it's linked to the concussion protocol again it, it's it's a positive step 
Um, but yeah, no, I think it's, it is, it is what it is. I don't think it's anything major or controversial. Um, the, the, the five, if, if they had then also introduced the five substitutes allowed to be brought on, I think that would be more of a talking point, but they haven't. So I won't go down that road. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see if they could just continue to vote on that and keep adding one or two per, <laughs> per time they hold that vote. Um, but yeah, I, I think both of these things are definitely positive steps. Uh, just retouching on the, uh, concussion thing. I do think there should be another thing to kind of avoid that managerial tampering that we kind of talked about earlier. If, you're withdrawn and a concussion substitution is used for you that then you can't appear in your next match. Um, you could probably only enforce it domestically, probably a lot harder to enforce in Europe. But if you're bad enough that you miss that match, you probably aren't good enough to play four days later or seven days later. So I think that's a direction I'd like to see it go. But regardless, yeah, I, I think these are both positive steps as we try to take head collisions and concussions more seriously in football. Um, Next, we'll talk up a little bit about Arsenal. Another loss for them against Everton. Not a not a uh, terribly bad loss in theory, but it keeps them pinned in 15th where they've been for the past few weeks, if memory serves. How much longer do you think that the Arsenal board can continue to stand by Arteta? It's an interesting one because how long did they stand by their former manager? I mean, I mean we've we mm. talked about for years, so... Uh boy, but but this is a little bit different. But I don't know. I, I I think Arsenal will eventually get out of it. But the fans, I'm assuming, are starting to clamor for it. I thought he had a bright future, but it's again, it's a very strange season for this to happen. So I don't know. They they are going to be under some pressure probably to um to get rid of him. But I'm one, you know. And again, maybe it's just a, where I live, how I'm brought up, but. I wouldn't give up on Arteta. I'd like to see if he can figure it out. But I'm sure that he's going to be under some pressure if he's not already. I'm talking about from the uh, board of Arsenal to get rid of him, but I wouldn't do it. I think it's um, an interesting one in this particular season with most of the games being behind closed doors. Obviously, Arsenal's first game with fans, I think, was the game against us when they were booed off. I think there'd be a lot more pressure on Arteta if there'd have been fans in the Emirates before that game. That was four home games in a row they'd lost. Like any club that goes through a run like that in front of home supporters is going to be under pressure. Um, I think it's tricky. I agree with Russ that you you want to give these young managers time. Arteta's a rookie. This is his first job. He's obviously a talented coach. The work he did at Man City. I don't think it's coincidence that City have been not as good since Arteta left. He obviously brought something really important to that party and they are missing him. Um, but not all great coaches are great managers. We've seen plenty of people who've tried to step up and take the top job and they've not been cut out for it. So I think it's tough. I think the problems with Arsenal's squad are not necessarily all Arteta's fault, but I do think he is sort of shooting himself in the foot to leave out Mesut Ozil. This is a team that has scored 12 goals in the Premier League, less than one a game, and they have a player who used to be one of the best creative midfielders in the world, not even in their Premier League squad. It seems to me to be perverse. I don't believe it's for footballing reasons. It could be disciplinary. It might be something to do with the way Ozil spoken out on social media about various other issues. I, I just don't believe that Mesut Ozil is not good enough to play for this Arsenal team. I just don't get it. Um, what's fascinating for me is that having surely learned the lesson that you don't give a player who's past his peak a massive new contract because he might end up not being involved, they then gave a player who's past his peak a massive new contract. So, Aubameyang's <laughs> uh, gone from being yeah. arguably the best pure finisher in the league Good point. to an absolute liability he's been awful this season the only goal he scored recently is the own goal he scored against Burnley um, so yeah the, the downturn with Aubameyang is frightening if you're an Arsenal fan because they've thrown so much money at that player um, basically tying him to the club for the rest of his career and if he's not going to turn around that form he's just going to be a huge millstone for them um, I think the issue with Arsenal is that I watch them and I, I don't know what their plan is um, five minutes into the game against us recently, they were sitting back, letting us have the ball, trying to play on the break. You're at home to Burnley, who were in the bottom three, and you're trying to play on the counter-attack. And you're Arsenal. Like, 
without wanting to call Arsenal fan TV, are you for real? Like, what are you trying to do? That game was so strange for me. Um, obviously, Shaka got himself sent off. The fact that Artest has had so much faith in a player who's just an absolute liability. He's always likely to do something to get sent off. Um, the same game, the other fellow could have got sent off. I've forgotten who it was, but the guy got booked for shoving his hands in to off his face. It's just no discipline in this Arsenal squad. They've had more red cards than ever anyone else in the league this season. Um I don't think there's any character in the squad. You look at them struggling, the heads are down, there's no one trying to book them up. There's no, no leadership, no organisation, no character. I think if it wasn't Arteta, who's like a club icon and all this stuff, I think he'd be gone by now. Um, but you do want to give these guys time. I think it's tricky. Obviously, Unai Emery was a bit of a disaster. They tried to make that work. It didn't work out. But are they any better now than they were with Emery? They're not. So, are there better coaches out there than Arteta? They have to be. So, for me, I think a change is probably coming. Um, it's sacking season in the Premier League. Obviously, the Premier uh, the transfer window is opening in a week. So, so I think um, it's it's really difficult times for that club. Yeah, Matt, <clears throat> they've got a massive decision to make. And you mentioned the transfer window. If they back him, you've got you've got to back him properly, right? And this is part of the problem that United have had over the years. If you back the manager and you want him to stay, then at this stage where we are in the year and with we're a week and a bit away from the the transfer window, then you've got to say, right, we're going to back you. Here's the cash for January, and let's see what you can do. Do Arsenal have the resource for that? Probably not. But then they've got to make the call and say, well, we need a better coach, a better manager. For me, um, I don't think it's a conversation. I'm not as um, generous as the other two. I think this is it's it's hilarious that he's still in a job. Um, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but if I was, I mean, I just don't think that it's good enough. The the squad, it, there's just nothing there. I don't think um, they they lack quality. They lack um, plan. There's no sort of long term strategy from Arteta, um, and I just find it strange some of the kind of narrative we've seen over the season around, you know, he, and yes, he obviously did good work as a coach under Pep. Jamie's mentioned that doesn't mean he's going to go up, be able to take that step up and become, you know, a, a, a top-level manager. And, and, you know, Arsenal are a one of the top clubs in the country, so their standard needs to be higher than, than, than this. I look at that Arsenal squad, and I don't think, and, and and I don't think United are a great team. By the way, I just think, I just would not have. I don't think I'd have any of their players. I'd have some of their younger players. That uh, Saka looks good, uh, but obviously not straight into the first eleven. But beyond that, none of their players are playing at a level where you would say that they kind of deserve to be in 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 an Arsenal side. It, it, it's just an unrecognisable of Arsenal team right and they've been one of the great sides over the years so for me standards have slipped I mean a lot of what I'm saying now you could push you know direct at United but not after we've beaten Leeds 6-2 so I know I've got some issue with with what's happening there as well but I, I just would not have I wouldn't tolerate if I was in charge I wouldn't tolerate this level of uh, performance I just don't I'm not sure what the Arsenal board are thinking because if you look at that Arsenal team and the squad, the way he's built inverted commas, building the squad as well it's just very strange that big contract for Aubameyang a three year contract for Willian, that was a strange signing for me um, I don't see anything in that midfield Xhaka, I do not rate him as a player and never have done he's he's an absolute liability he's not he's not mobile enough he doesn't have the energy to sort of play in that let's say, Kante-type role. He's not a great passer of the ball, so he's not going to play in that sort of sitting midfield role. I just don't see what he does. Um, and when you look through that team, they're, they're just missing a lot of quality and all of the things that Jamie has mentioned. For me, I would get rid, get a new manager in with the credentials to build a team and build a squad um, and then back him. But then again, I'm not the board there, so I'm enjoying watching this. As it unfolds, <laughs> as I'm sure you are, Kevin. <laughs> well, I'm gonna be honest. It's it's just like almost expected now. Every week, you're just like, oh, Arsenal lost again. Like it's kind of lost that uh, 
that luster of when they drop points when we were like battling for the same positions. It's just like, oh, there they are pinned at the bottom again. Uh, I'm sure but if they were there at the, the end of the year, I'd find great joy in it, though. Yeah, you get, you get, I get the enjoyment as I'm sort of scrolling through Twitter and someone has retweeted one of the Arsenal fan TV crew onto my timeline. <laughs> I'll, di- I'll dip into that quick and then carry on. <laughs> you know, it might be expected, but every now and then you do see some gems coming out of that channel. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say my experience on Twitter has been easier. Uh, this season with Arsenal struggling as they have done. I uh, was going to follow Kev, up. When, by, yeah, Kev, yeah. when are you going to set up Spurs fan TV? That's what the people Great want. question. So Spurs a group actually <laughs> tried to do it and they got just absolutely ratioed and every video they put out had like 10 <laughs> views and like a thousand dislikes. Um, and so they very, very quickly gave up on the idea. Uh, I do not believe there is uh, enough solid content, that, hot takes, or bants coming out of Tottenham these days. Do you think? <laughs> do you think that's because were they called Spurs fan TV? Or it was like Spurs now? TV or something like that. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think it's because the Spurs fans have seen the Arsenal fan TV and just do not want to be involved? Yes, at all? It's, it's absolutely. Just, yeah, it's I think that's exactly that, what right? happened. It's so yeah. embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, and and we're such like a. Uh, as a club, we are prone for embarrassing moments, uh, and I think it's wise for us to to cut that off at the pass before uh, we get invested in high on our horse and then something dumb happens like, you know, a 96th minute penalty against Newcastle because Dyer didn't know where the ball was. Yeah, I don't think we really need that in our lives at all. Uh, and on that note, we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, and we are back. Russ, I figure we'll start off by talking about Fulham. Uh, Kind of uh, alluded to it in the pre-show chat that we were having. Uh, Undefeated in three straight. They are all draws, but it pulls you out of the relegation zone. Obviously, some clubs around you uh, with games in hand. But are you happy with that, getting a little bit of positive momentum? Or are you looking at any of those matches like, oh, man, we really should have gotten the three points? Well, should they have gotten the three points? They should have gotten the three points against Liverpool. They should have gotten the three points yesterday, uh, but they didn't either. So mm. the way I'm looking at it right now is that uh, it's twofold because I look at Fulham and I see a team that is improving. This is not the team from two seasons ago. Anyone that's watched them knows this. If you think that they are, you are sadly mistaken because uh, this team is more solid, and Parker has a lot to do with this. He's made them difficult to beat. Holmes' real problem is uh, scoring goals and uh, really having enough offensive power, and they they need to fix that in the uh, transfer window, honestly. So for me, it's going to come down to who they bring in, but I'm very happy with Fulham because when I look at it, if you would have asked me, would they get four points against Leicester City and Liverpool? I would have bitten your hand off, and they've done that. And if you look at Brighton, you know, right after Liverpool, it was going to be a difficult ask, so getting a point is not a bad result. The one that really irritates me is the one last night. That one really irritates me because it was there for them. I'm not one to complain about referees, VAR. That's not my game. Because Fulham didn't do enough, honestly, to get themselves away from that situation. We talked about it on Cottage Talk that they needed to score more goals because you don't want to put it in 
the hands of VAR, the refs. It's like uh, a boxing match. You don't want it to go down to the decision by the judges. You don't want to do that. And Fulham, unfortunately, did that in the last match. And it cost them. It cost them dearly. But overall, I am extremely happy about my side because it's gelling as a team. They're fun to watch. And they're difficult to beat. Yeah, great point there from you. Uh, I obviously haven't seen Fulham every match this season, but when I have, I keep being really impressed by Angisa. You and I talked in the offseason before the season started about whether or not he was going to stay, whether or not he was going to get a chance, and you thought both were the case. Obviously, he has. Uh, Have you been impressed with him watching every match as I have not doing so? And just how impactful is he for you? He's been Fulham's best player. Definitely been Fulham's best player. And, uh, they're nowhere near good enough for this league without him. They needed him. And uh, I would say Angisa basically just just a, a wonderful box-to-box midfielder that does just an incredible job. And they are a different team with him or, and without him. So for me, Angisa is Fulham's best player. And, and I would put right behind that would be the goalkeeper, Alphonse Ariola, that they've yeah. gotten on loan. Without him, again, these two players have been key to form. And then I'll put another player right with there who actually got a red card, and that, that would be Anderson. Anderson was uh, you know, got the red card last time, but he's been fantastic for form. And someone that, again, um, is on loan, and hopefully, you know, they don't have an option to buy, but um, I definitely hope that they bring him back. But going back to Angisa. And Geese is good enough, I truly believe, for a top six club. I'm just glad he's at full. All right, coming to you now, Jamie, to talk about Burnley. The last time you were on, we were talking about what was wrong with the defense. Uh, you'd kept just three clean sheets and 11, but now suddenly, two in a row. We're recording before your match against Wolves for anybody that's looking at that stat cross-eyed. Um, but it, has anything changed there defensively for you tactically? Just a little bit of reversion to the mean where typically you're a good defensive team and now it's returning? Or what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, obviously now it's three clean sheets in a row after our 10 0 win over, over <laughs> Monday night. <laughs> after bringing on your, your ninth man yeah. on the bench. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I think the main thing is that we've we've got our best back five back together. Um, ben Mee missed the first few weeks of the season. James Sarkowski missed the first few weeks of the season. They've only played four or five games together with Nick Pope in goal. He missed the annual 5-0 defeat at Man City that we're never going to speak of again. So our record with those three, the sort of centrepiece of our defence, is actually really good. And we, again, look like we could be a top 10 side with that defence. The problem is that we weren't able to field it for the first few weeks of the season. I saw a national newspaper over here that I won't name um, called our defence abject in a preview recently, and then we kept two clean sheets in a row. Um, <laughs> defence was abject at the start of the season. It's not now. It's actually very solid. Um, Sean Dash's best Burnley teams have always been built on a very solid defence. When things start going wrong, he doubles down on having a solid defence. So um, probably the reason we've not been very good at the other end of the pitch recently is because we are focusing on keeping clean sheets, being hard to break down. Um, and I think we've conceded one goal in four or five games with the Pope, me, Tarkovsky triangle. So it's that simple, really. It's not it's not tactical. It's nothing too complicated. We've just had our best players back on the pitch, and that's made a real difference. Well, it's certainly working. So may I recommend having all of your players available more frequently? Yeah, any teams that are struggling to get results, just get your best players not injured. Like it's, it's really, really easy. Just do that. <laughs> yep, definitely good advice there. Uh, <laughs> other good news at Burnley this week is Jack Cork signs a new contract with you guys. Yep. Uh, how deserving was he of that contract for you? Well, he hasn't been playing because he's been injured all season. Um, but I'm a Oof. big fan of Jack Cork. I think he's one of our most important players. Very, very underrated player. Um, I think it was telling the first few weeks of the season when there was no Cork, no Ben Mee, the defence just didn't seem right. Obviously, the back line was missing its leader, our captain, but also the protection that Jack Cook provides in front of the back four was missing. Um, we obviously had a lot of contractual issues at the end of last season with the project restart. We lost Jeff Hendrick on a free, Aaron Lennon on a free. These guys that Daesh wanted to keep around that the club 
decided not to give contracts to. The Hendrick case was a bit different. I think he decided he wanted to leave, but um, also Joe Hart, I think it was thought that Dash would have been quite happy to keep him as backup. Um, so the club didn't really back him on contracts. Seems like they're now starting to get their act together. The situation we had last season, um, I don't know, we're going to talk about contracts in Playwatch, but at the end of last season, we had sort of six, seven first team players, players who were either regular starters or on the bench more often than not out of contracts at the same time. It's just not a situation that a Premier League club should be in. Um, but incredibly, we were going into a similar situation this season. We again had half a dozen players with their contracts expiring. But Jack Coates renewed now. Ashley Westwood renewed a couple of weeks ago. Um, a couple of the lads had options to extend for a year. They've been sorted early. So it finally seems like we're getting our house in order with that. Um, Coates an interesting one because a lot of fans seem to think that he's not going to go back into the team, that he'll be back up. Josh Brownhill has essentially been Jack Coates this season. Um, and I saw a stat that he was actually top of the league for interceptions, which I was surprised by because... I don't really see Brownell as a defensive player. He's more of an attacking player who likes to get on the ball. Mm. Um, but it seems like he does a lot of that work unnoticed, which, fair play, I wasn't really aware. So I'm having to rethink my view on Brownell. But for me, Jack Cork, excellent, excellent player. Of his type of midfielder in the Premier League, I think he's one of the better ones, honestly. He did get in the England squad and got, I think, one cap in a friendly. So he's been around the fringes. He's probably too old to get international recognition now because he's past 30. But, yeah, outstanding player. Really happy that he's staying because I think he is still in our best 11. Gotcha. It does seem like you're kind of trending upwards at the moment. Do you think you'll capitalise that on January and, and bring in more players or just continue to count on players to get back from, from injury in the graveyard? Um. <laughs> I'm not sure. Dash has already been making noises about being happy to carry on with the same squad, but we've had this takeover of the stuff rumbling Well, away that's just because he recorded one response 10 years ago and just plays it every time he's asked. Well, yeah, exactly. And he, he got a bit <laughs> grumpy about stuff at the end of last season and he didn't get his own way with players coming in. But it's, it's I think it's just the way it is for us. There isn't a lot of money. Dash knows that. But if this takeover does go through and there's talk that it's imminent now, um, we don't know much about the it's the American group ALK Capital that is seemingly very close to doing a deal. There's not that much out there about them. We don't know how much money they have, how much is going to be available to spend, but there is sort of positive noises. Um, and apparently there's been talks about budgets for January and stuff already. They're that confident that they are going to get it done in time. So I don't think it's going to be like splashing tens of millions around, but... I think if Daesh has got sensible targets, um, it does sound like there will be money to to get some deals done, which would be useful because although it looks like we are starting to put results together, the squad is still quite short in some areas. It's not a very young squad at all, so we need to start renewing it with younger players coming in. Um, there's not a lot of pace in the squad, so these issues need to be tied up really. And if we can get a couple in in January, I'm, I'm not asking for like wholesale changes. I think a couple of solid signings who can either improve the 11 or provide really good strength in depth, players who are going to make an impact straight away, I'd be quite happy with. Gotcha, and we'll certainly keep an eye on that uh, takeover if and when it ever actually materializes. But if it's more imminent now, uh, then that's impressive. But yep, I'm no longer holding my breath. <laughs> but, yeah, everyone keeps saying that it's almost done. So fingers crossed. Gotcha. Well, I'm sure the folks at home will hear from you when and if that happens. Uh, coming to you now, Joshy, to talk about Manchester United. Uh, all of a sudden, a pretty big performance after some questions start getting asked of uh, Solskjaer, and that seems to be the way of it, is every time um, he seems to be on the ropes, some kind of big result happens. Uh, this one in particular against Leeds, and I was just curious if that's as pleasing emotionally to get one over on Leeds like that um, as it would historically be, or if maybe a little bit less so since they just got promoted and, and they're kind of on the smaller scale at the moment. Um, no, I think I've been I've been following United for well over thirty years, so Leeds are kind of ingrained in there. It's like Liverpool, City, Leeds, right? So for me, I, I have I have to say the, the fast start to the game kind of took me by surprise. So you know, and I, that I was it was McTominay. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. First of all, the fast start being that it was actually United scoring early as opposed to conceding early. 
And then, yes, it was McTominay with two really awesome finishes. So I wasn't really, I was a little bit, I'm not shell-shocked, but just kind of, it was a bit of a strange situation. But as as we sort of played the game out, I was just going, this is awesome. You know, slapping leads, you know, they've come up. Yes, they've just been promoted, but it is, um, yeah, it's a good feeling. But obviously not on the same level as when, you know, when, when they were, you know, they were challenging for a title at some point, um, you know, in the last, what, in the 90s. So not 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 quite the same but it is still really satisfying um to get it uh get that win and yeah look Solskjaer does tend to get the results when he needs them most and this was it was a nice one I, I think I, I have to admit going into the game I did expect us to beat Leeds just the way they play was it's kind of almost set up for us to, to to sort of pick them apart and that is exactly what happened um and it could have been and should have been a lot more than six which is which is nice to say, given the amount of problems we've had this season at home in, in creating chances. So, yeah, really good, really good win. Um, and really good performance going forward. So, yeah, pleased with that. Nice. Uh, another thing of note is that it was De Gea back in the sticks. Obviously, it had been Henderson once forced, I think once by choice. Have you fallen on one side or, or the other on which goalkeeper you'd rather stick with rest of season? Or do you think we'll just kind of see rotation based on who's playing well and who's not? Um, I think, well, I, I don't mind rotation, but not in the way that Ollie's kind of doing it. I think Henderson's a solid keeper. He's transitioning towards becoming the number one, but and and has the potential to be a really top top end keeper. But I wouldn't do what Ollie's doing, which is kind of tinkering about in the league. I'd do something more definitive, so that the goalkeepers. I think goalkeepers are kind of a different breed from the rest, a different position from the rest of the the team where you can't really tinker with their their mental state like that right so i would say you know henderson cups if you want to do it that way and give him game time henderson cups De Gea league and, and champions league which we're not in anymore but um <clears throat> but doing this kind of in and out in in different games is difficult because what you want is that consistency in terms of the, the, the defense and, and, and the goalkeeper understanding each other and, and working as a unit. Ultimately, United don't have that at the moment. And even, even in today's game, you know, we conceded two. We could have conceded more. Leeds did play some good stuff and created a few chances. I think there's a real problem at the back. So for me, having that, um, that changing up the goalkeeper like that in a, in not, in, in a way that's not predetermined, i.e., Henderson, you're going to play all the League Cup games and the FA Cup games. It 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 just creates um, extra an extra layer of uncertainty that we don't need. That being said, obviously De Gea hasn't been in <clears throat> the best form, um, so he's got to expect pressure. Problem is Henderson obviously made made a mistake and and it was a big one. So for, I just wouldn't rotate like that. I think if I if I was Oli, I'd settle on Oli. I'd settle on De Gea in the league and Henderson in the League Cup and the FA Cup, um, uh, De Gea in the league and Euro- Europa League, and then see how it plays out. If if you give the if you give Henderson those games and he's sort of having blinders every week, then you can start to transition that way. But at the moment, De Gea is still the better keeper, just obviously prone to making mistakes. The issue I have though is the coaching. Like the one thing with De Gea is he's just never ever built improved on his kind of aerial presence he doesn't come out for crosses he doesn't really dominate his box he's, a, he's probably the best shot stopper we've had at the club for a long time and, and over the years has been the best keeper in the league in that in that way but has never dominated the box I thought Henderson would come in and I thought that would, when he was at Sheffield United that seemed to be one of his strengths but again he's he seems to have kind of gone back a bit in that way as well and I wonder if there's a problem with the coaching is it not a focus? I don't know. Um, but certainly the, the coaching as, of the defensive unit isn't good enough. So that tinkering at the back with the goalkeeper position isn't helping that. So I'd, I'd want a bit more of a settled uh, choice. Gotcha. Hey, from what you've seen, are you confident in Henderson as the future of that position for you? I think he's got the ability and the potential. Um, obviously, he's he's made a clangor the other day. But again, I think you know, he's not getting the minutes and he's been chucked into a league game that he potentially wasn't expecting to be in I don't know I think he's got it he's we've seen at Sheffield United when he was on loan there that he has got quality 
um, and is one of the best, uh, one of the better goalkeepers in the league, and he's certainly got the talent. So he could, he could go, he could develop. So he's now got to, he's got to see it as a challenge and push De Gea. Um, and De Gea's got to see it as a challenge and, and get back to his top level. So it's only good for us, but it just needs to be managed properly. All right, now we're going to head into Player Watch, where we're going to quickly discuss players at our clubs. This week, I wanted to talk about players at our clubs that you think deserve or will soon get a new contract. Russ, we'll start off with you and Fulham. Well, we just talked about Ngisa, and I think Ngisa is a player that deserves a new contract. because, Again, they, they brought him in. He was a, a big signing. They spent a lot of money on him, and he's Fulham's best player. So for me, it's number one going to be in Giza and uh, Fulham need to do whatever they can to hold on to to him uh, for a very long time because as he goes, Fulham goes. We, you know, we used to say that about Tom Kearney, but it has more to do with, for me, with uh, Andre Frank and Giza. He is the player that deserves a new contract. Beyond that, I want to see Fulham try to find a way to get permanent deals or, you know, after these loans are up, you know, Try to um, try to entice Alphonse Ariola to to come back to Fulham. And I'll say the same thing for Joachim Anderson with their with their parent clubs to make a deal to have them come back to Fulham because these players have been fantastic. All right, and Jamie, obviously Cork just getting his, but is there anybody else next on the pipeline? Yeah, there's a couple of big decisions still to make. Um, I was just looking at the contract situation because I've completely lost track of who still needs to be renewed and who's already got one. There's been so much activity recently, but it looks like both Robbie Brady and Johan Gudmundsson are out of contract. Um, it's a bit of a shame that these are human beings that we can't just like melt down and build one player out of the working parts. <laughs> Because you can't rely on either of these two guys to stay fit, which is a shame because fitting on form, they're both good Premier League players. Um, but as it is, we're just hoping that one of them is fit to play on the right wing for any particular week. Um, so like I said, I think the decision to make is, do you try and keep them both and accept that sometimes neither of them are going to be available and you're going to have to do something stupid like play Eric Peters on the right wing? Um, do you decide which one you're going to keep, cut the other one loose and hope that they then don't be injury-free signing for a rival and be brilliant for the next few years? Or do you let them both go and use the money that you save on their wages to sign someone new who hopefully has two working legs? So I think that's the biggest call for me. Um, obviously, I've been on the show a lot before, talked about Gunmanson before a lot. I know you're a fan of his as well. He's a really, really mm. good player when he's fit, but he just can't stay fit. He seems to get these little niggles that keep him out for a month at a time. And you like, Dash does his press conference on a Thursday and he's like, yeah, Gunmanson's still not quite ready. And like, for God's sake, like, what's wrong with the guy? Um, and then when he gets fit, he takes him a couple of games to get up to speed and then he gets hurt again. And just, it's, it's so frustrating. Um, to be fair to Brady, he's probably in the best form that we've had him at Burnley. He's been really solid recently. He is putting together 90 minutes back to back to back, something that I don't think he's ever done since signing for us. Um, he's played a lot against Ryle in the season as well, so that's helped with his match fitness. And he, he looks like he's someone who is now ready to contribute. Um, whether he is playing for a contract, I suppose, is up for debate. Um, but if he is, fair enough, it's working. I would personally leave it a little while, see if he can keep it going, if he can stay fit for weeks and weeks and weeks rather than a couple of weeks. Um, but I like both guys. I would be quite happy if they both stayed. Um, it's just, like I say, it's a shame that they can't stay fit, but it's not like they get injured on purpose, is it? It's just, like, it's just what happens. And I think if you're a club like Burnley, you accept that if you're going to sign players with this quality, there's probably something that is putting other teams off and fitness issues tend to be the case. For me, it's similar to when we had Stephen Defoe, who, in my view, is the most talented player we've had in the Premier League. But again, his knees didn't work. So when he was fit, the team was basically built around him. But we got to a stage where we couldn't build the team around him because we couldn't rely on him to be fit. So I think you take gambles on players like this sometimes and, and you just have to decide when they come towards the end of the contract, whether or not it's paid off. All right, and Josh, coming to you about Manchester United, is there anybody else that you see uh, in line for a contract there? 
Well, the way we go, everyone seems to get a contract. There's some weird um, fascination or obsession with retaining sell-on value at the club. So mm. Marcos Rojo's contract is up at the end of the year. I fully expect him to get like a 10-year contract soon. Um, but no, joking aside, I think the way I approached this sort of thought process was who would I like to see get to the point where they have played well enough to deserve a new contract? Because we're pretty good on the contract side of things. Um, so at the moment, we've got a few, quite a few, we've got about six players with their contract up at the end of the year, but there's none of them are f- like first team players. You've got like Cavani, he was signed on a free. So <clears throat> it would be great to see him do well enough to earn that new contract. Jesse Lingard is up at the end of the year. He's, I don't think he's going to get back in the side, so he'll be gone. Juan Mata has an option for a further year at the end of the year. So again, you know, these aren't like key players. Rojo, I've already mentioned. Odion Igalo is off. Romero seems to have been frozen out. Lee Grant, another goalkeeper. So I don't see any of these guys getting new contracts. The only one is we've got Timothy Fosumenza, he's a 22-year-old right back. Uh, again, he's had injury issues and not quite done amazingly well. But, you know, if I'm thinking about your question, it would be great to see him come on and develop and get that and, and, and earn that contract. But I don't see it happening based on what I've seen of him this year. <clears throat> the uh, in, in the next sort of group of players, it's probably a little bit more interesting, is that the group of players whose contracts are up at the end of uh, June 22. Um, and that's Paul Pogba. Eric Bailly and Axel Twanzebi. So this is going to be an interesting, or next season, next summer will be an interesting summer because will United cash in on Pogba with a year left? Will he commit to a new contract? I don't, you know, I don't know. His agent's obviously mouthing off. Is it a ploy to get a new contract? I don't know. He's 27. He's coming, he should be playing at his peak. And is he, a, you know, he had a good game the other day, then didn't play today. So, you know, that's an interesting one. Eric Bailly, another one who we just mentioned, uh, had a conversation about injuries. He's just never settled in terms of the injury front. So I probably wouldn't mm-hmm. give him a new contract. The one that I'm super interested in is Axel Twanzebi. I rate him massively. I, I think he has everything you need to be a real, a, a top tier centre back, except for experience, right? Because obviously he's not playing. And this is where his issue lies because Solskjaer for whatever reason, likes Maguire and Lindelof together. And it's, I, I really rate Twanzebi. So it, I would love for him to get to the point where he's played enough games, has earned that contract and is settled in the side. Um, so I, I'd pick him out as someone who I hope sort of uh, kicks on and, and get, earns that new contract. And then the following season, you've got a few players, but Marcus Rashford, he'll get a new contract, I think, soon. Uh, and Mason Greenwood is up at 20 in, in June 23 as well. And I'm sure he'll get a contract soon as well, just a, you know, a long-term one. But Tuan Zabi is the one that I'd really like to see kick on and, and get into the side, you know, kick Lindelof out because we've spent 80 million on Maguire for some reason. So he's not going to be dropped and he's a club captain for some reason. So he's not going to be dropped. So yeah, I'd like to see Tuan Zabi get in, get that contract and establish himself in the side. I'm not sure it will happen, but let's see. All right, that'll do it for us today. If you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Okay, well, you can find me on Twitter at Russ underscore Goldman and also at the Twitter account for Cottage Talk at Cottage Talk. And uh, we do stream live Cottage Talk show on Russ underscore Goldman, so check that out. And you can also watch the show on the Cottage Talk Facebook page when we go live on StreamYard. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening, if indeed you are still listening. And Merry Christmas, if you celebrate Christmas, since it's nearly Christmas. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do. I'm at Jamie Smith Sport. <laughs> I started laughing so much when you said it. <laughs> if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, you can find me on, on Twitter, um, at DocJ underscore MUFC, um, rambling about United and, and complaining about COVID pretty much my shtick at the moment and apparently yeah, changing your handle <laughs> yes I, oh god we won't go into the whole uh, reasons as to why that happened but it was it's a whole it's a whole other podcast that we could get into <laughs> another time but um yeah no, thanks for having me on and hope everyone has a lovely christmas and, and um you're not stuck in in a tier four in the uk 
<laughs> Very <laughs> sorry to hear that. Um, if you'd like to find me, you can do so on Twitter at Kevroff. If you'd like to find the show, you can do so on Twitter at EPL Roundtable. You can also email us any questions you have at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Also, be sure to check out the Championship Pod, which is also their handle on Twitter, uh, if you want to hear everything that's going down in the championship at the moment. But thanks to you guys so much for coming on. It was a pleasure as always. Happy holidays. And we hope you keep listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.